following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. So uh, God has a plan this morning, and let's ask him to allow us to join him in it. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we are hopeless and helpless. And unless you show up this morning, we have no hope of getting this message that you have designed for us into the deepest crevices of our heart. So illuminate, O Holy Spirit, our inner person, that we would see you today in a new and fresh way. And break our heart with the things that break your heart. And then fill us, Lord, in this great text with your spirit and your joy. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Okay, so let's read the text today and get to work. We've got eight verses to go through here. I'm going to read. You guys follow along. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. A very familiar last verse there in verse 8. In my opinion, this is the best passage in the entire Bible, at least it's my favorite, um, because Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, to me, is the gospel. You want to know what God did for you? You want to know why he needed to do that for you? Study this text. Know it. Memorize it. But don't get too far from it. It's, it's too dangerous, at least for me. Um, you know, I've got to tell you, I'm, I'm excited about the moment I see the Lord just taking in the beauty of his face for like a thousand years and wanting to say nothing. And then finally, when I get words to, to say, I'm going to say these words, Thank you, Lord, for Isaiah 6. When I was on the earth, it helped me so much. And I think we're going to say weird things in heaven to the Lord, like, Lord, my best times on earth were the times when I felt so small compared to you. You know what I mean? And teens, let me just say this, um, for for those of you that are teenagers, and this is so simple, but if you see God as huge and you being as kind of really small, that's a great place to be. And it has a lot to do with our lesson today. So there's a lot of really cool background on Isaiah's life, his ministry, and the people of Judah. And I'll just summarize this by saying that for 52 years, King Uzziah reigned as king. And for the most part, he was a good king. So long time... Good king. Sound familiar? Yeah. So did a great job, but he dies of leprosy in about B.C. 7, 741. 
And the Assyrians, the evil Assyrians, had already conquered Israel in the north. And now they are a serious threat to destroy Judah in the south. And Uzziah's sons were not Uzziah. So this was a very much a crisis time for the people of Judah. So what's going on here is Isaiah, prophet, great man of faith, he's desperate. And he goes into the temple to pray and express his doubt to God. This truly is a defining moment for the nation. Would they trust God? And would God show up? A couple of weeks ago, uh, Rick Walden mentioned, I think three weeks ago, some, many of you weren't here, but a little incident I had uh, in Indianapolis a couple of years ago. You just kind of touched on it. So um, are all the kids gone in Sunday school for the most part? Yeah, okay. All right. So here I was. I just finished a, a night of street evangelism. It was about 1230 in a pretty rough area of town. And as I'm talking to Robin on the cell phone, three men with guns uh, approached me. And before I knew it, I was on the ground. I'd been hit on the head. And the next thing I knew, there was a gun uh, at my temple, and there was an angry young man screaming at me. And he hit me again and again. And they eventually kind of dragged me down two alleys that were dark. Um, and they tried to jam me in their car filled with six guys. Okay. Um, the cell phone went off and Robin didn't hear this part, but the last part she heard, she actually listened to the whole thing. She heard, let's put him in the trunk, okay? And then the, f- the phone went dead. Um, so as I saw these six guys, this was a defining moment for me. Um, and God miraculously, I still have no idea to this day, but he, he, he got me out of the situation with only a bunch of welts on my head and a black eye, but... No gun blast, no injury, no death, defining moment. So what's funny is three days later, I met Rick for the first time in Starbucks. And, you know, I'm going to teach at Grace, and this guy's on the board. And I'm like, "Um, I I, I don't always have a black eye, really, you know. And I was like, and and, and my marriage is okay, really, you know. um, Anyway, it was pretty funny. Um, So the nation of Judah was in a defining moment. As God's chosen people, would they be totally wiped out? And so God said basically, as you look at your text, he basically said, I see you and I feel your pain and I'm going to show up. And he did. So verses 1 to 4 gives a full picture, as far as we can understand it, of the blazing glory of God. You want to increase your faith? You want to have like a mountaintop like experience, get to know this text, get it deep and hold on to it. Let's look at verse 1. So Isaiah saw God on the throne. And this is important because only kings and people of ultimate authority sit on thrones. And almost everybody in the Bible who saw the Lord saw or had a glimpse of heaven saw the Lord seated on his throne. Basically, God was saying, You're concerned about the Assyrians? Let me remind you with this. (laughs) Crash! Boom! I am on the throne of the universe, and there is no one like me. And Isaiah's attention went instantaneously from these wee bitty people, the Assyrians, to God. Verse 2. The angels called seraphs or seraphim mean burning ones. And Ezekiel described them as burning coals of fire, torches going back and forth with fire and lightning. So they were powerful, brilliant, and yet when they saw the Lord, in verse 2, they covered their faces. Can you see it? They were, 
They were just overwhelmed and they couldn't even gaze at at the Lord. So check this out. Isaiah, a human, got to see the Lord. He got to gaze at the Lord. And you might ask, what happens to a person when they see the Lord? And this reminds me of something, and it's kind of a weak example, but it's something you and I can relate to. So imagine this. Um, I'll pick Gary. He's close to me here. So Gary and I go to the Grand Canyon. And um, let's say that we haven't seen each other. We're good friends. It's been like five years. And we, we sit down. There's two chairs there for us at the Grand Canyon. And we start talking. I'm like, Gary, you look great. Man, you haven't aged at all. Check out that shirt. That's, you know. And I start talking to Gary. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of styling now. You know, he starts kind of going off. And then all of a sudden, he, he realizes what's going on. And, and he kind of taps me on the shoulder. And he goes, check it out. And we both turn and look at the Grand Canyon. And we're just kind of, and all of a sudden I go, yeah, 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 but, but that collar, I mean, it's just, you know, and we start talking again. Of course, we would never do that because that picture and that vision would trump anything and any of our trivial stuff that we would ever want to talk about. We're done talking about shirts, you know. We're looking at the Grand Canyon. In the Bible, the same thing happened to many people. Uh, let's go ahead and get that next slide up here. So there's a whole bunch of cases where, in every case, the end result situation was a little different. The end result was life-changing and life-altering. And we can't take those words lightly. So today, if something happened to you, let's get personal, that was life-altering. If you were suddenly attacked and beaten by three gunmen, think about that. How would it change you? And yet... All of that would be tame and lame compared to actually seeing God. So this was a picture of God's wrath, and it was designed to strike awe upon us. And Isaiah responded correctly. And the story gets better. So go to verse 5. What does he say? He says, I am ruined. You guys, this is the great prophet Isaiah. And that's all he could say? Huh? That's it? I mean, he couldn't even praise God. Because what was in front of him, the moose on the table, was his sin. And this is what happens when we are put next to God. The truth is obvious. So in this moment, he was not a prophet, but he was a sinner. In this moment, he was not a missionary. He was a sinner. In this moment, he was not the director of blah, blah, blah mission agency. And I love talking about our sin against the holiness of God because I want to know the truth. And I think most of us want to know the truth. And I want to know now how God sees me so I can be prepared for that moment. Anybody want to know the truth after it's too late? I don't think so. This is a good picture for us. And so sin, and and this is so interesting, but I like this. What makes sin so bad is not the sin itself. It's the object of the sin. And let me explain. Let's let's say that um, Kathy Walden and I are, we're at a park. Um, My wife is there too, and we're sitting there on a bench, and uh, there's a a bunch of ants in front of us. That that doesn't happen here in Thailand, but no. Um, Anyway, there's a bunch of ants there, and I take my shoe and I kind of snuff out one of the ants. And Kathy goes, I can't believe you did that. You just killed 
course, she would never say that because it's, uh, it's an ant, okay? But if you take that same action and you scale it up to a human, it becomes life-defining. So it's not the action that matters so much. It's the object of the action. David says in Psalm 51 that every sin we commit, hear me, is against God. So much that he says, against you, you only, have I sinned. Everything I've done. If I was selfish this morning in a little way, we think, not a big deal. Well, it is, because it's against the infinite God of the universe. That's the way God defines sin. So in verse 5, when you look at Isaiah's response, it makes a little sense that he says what he does. He's broken. He's undone. If you can put yourself in that situation right now like Isaiah was, that's a good thing. He's seeing all of his sin right before his very eyes. Let's do a couple more points on verse 5 here before we move on. Go ahead, Nate. Isaiah pronounced woes on the entire nation of Israel, but when he was confronted with God, he was struck with awe. And honestly, as missionaries, many of us, I, I, need to be struck with awe more often. Amen? Yeah. Number two, we should be broken daily by our sinfulness, and when we do, God loves to cleanse us. Next point. Um, since 2006, on a personal level, for five years now, uh, God has had me start my quiet times in the morning in the same area of the Old Testament. Where do you think that is? So my family knows. Um, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Lamentations. Every day I start there and I move into the ultimately the New Testament. Why? Because I need to be reminded of the fear of the Lord. And I'm convinced that the absolute worst thing that can happen to you and to me is that we believe a lie. That we're something, that we've done something, and we get proud. So the idea is, whatever it takes, at all costs, avoid pride. Whatever it takes, at all costs, we need to avoid pride. We need to stay low and broken. And maybe it's being a guy, I don't know, but I just feel like I need to see God in His power. It reduces me. And you know what? The last five years for me have been incredible. I feel so alive in Christ, but it starts with a fear of the Lord. Next point. Seeing ourselves correctly is huge. Um, so I've got another one up here. In life gaming, saying woe is me is a prerequisite to be used by God. So I have to look back over my last 24 hours. You know, look at the... the what happened? And am I starting there at that place? Because it's a great place to be. Um, I brought a couple of things. What did I do with them? I lost them. There it is. Okay, sorry. Got to run over here. Um, if you're interested in a really great resource, this is called the Walk of Repentance. Fantastic. It, it just kind of breaks you down, and then it builds you back up. God just does an amazing work. If you're interested in this, um, we may do a men's study on this later in the year. Um, lastly, our prayers should be an application and a reflection of this. Some of, some of you I know love Andrew Murray, um, and he says it like this. Lord, I gladly accept the arrangement. I am nothing, you are all. Listen to this. My nothingness is my highest blessing, because you are the vine which gives and works all. So be it, Lord. 
Remember what I said in the beginning. This passage to me is the gospel. And notice this. End of verse 5. Okay, we're moving on. So in verse 6, everything changes. The good news. There is always good news with God. Teens, did you have kind of a rough week at school first week? Parents, maybe struggling with a fruit in your ministry right now? Again, there is always good news in the end with God. Because our God is what I like to call, and he's all about this thing called the great reversal. Anybody heard that term before, the great reversal? Okay. It's, it's kind of a unique Christian thing, because Buddhism has no great reversal. Islam has only an impersonal and distant God of judgment. No great reversal. But the one and only true God... I deserve, I deserve this. And God did this. Jesus did this. And now I have this. And that's enough this morning to just stop, get on our knees and worship Him. Let's move on. Verses 6 and 7. And I want you to read this with me, if we could all together, like you're seeing it for the first time and you're on the screen. Okay, verses 6 and 7. Ready? Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. God loves us. He died for us. The entire Bible hinges on verses 6 and 7. No cross, no life. We couldn't possibly take our stuff and baggage and filth into a perfect and sinless heaven. I'll give you a quick story, and I think you teens will like this. Um, another kind of fun evangelism thing. In 2007, I went to Miami, Mike, to go to the Super Bowl. No, actually... I didn't go to the Super Bowl, but um, I did go to Miami, and we spent, oh, and by the way, that was the year of the Super Bowl where the Colts won, yeah! Had to get that in, sorry. Okay, so anyway, so we go for three days, did I say the Colts won? Oh, yeah, okay, so we go for three days, 10 to 10, every day, talking to people on South Beach about the Lord. It was awesome, it was awesome. And I came upon a friend who was trying to explain to a drunk guy that people need Jesus to get into heaven. And she said this. She said, imagine your favorite pizza piping hot in front of you, and, and you're starved, and you can't wait to get, get to it. And all of a sudden, uh, it falls on the ground, and a dog comes and kind of does his business. N no more detail there. And, uh, and I pick it up, and I go, oh, it's okay. And I clean it all off, and, and then I give it back to you. And I say, it's all cleaned off. And then she goes... Would you eat it? And he goes, no. And she goes, um, she goes, no matter what you do to clean it, it's still soiled. We can't take our sin and stuff into a perfect sinless heaven, and we can't clean it up by going to church and being a good person. And, and then she looked at the guy and she goes, you need a new pizza. And he goes, oh, I get it. What, 
What's the new pizza? It was a bizarre word picture, but very effective. So listen, we can't take even two minutes of our own existence and bring that into heaven, into the presence of a holy God, without verses 6 and 7. Amen? Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Just breathe that in this morning. You are forgiven. Well, we made it. We're at verse 8 now. Now is Isaiah's response, Here am I, send me, still a mystery to us? No, it shouldn't be. Did he say what he did because he knew he himself was a great man, handpicked by God to... Or or did he say it because his parents told him to? No. Or was it because he had just seen the truth? He saw God. He saw what God did for him. And it changed him. It completely changed him. And he was now a free man. And it it makes us want to go, show up today and just blow us away. Wouldn't that be cool? We make ourselves too big. And it's miserable. Our biggest joy in life is just simply to know Him and just to live out His will in total freedom. No more fear of man. No more comparing. No more envy or jealousy. Hey, I know what God has done for me and all I want to do is live out His will. That's joy. That's joy. This isn't obligation anymore. It's not trying to earn something. A dog doesn't bark to become a dog. It barks because it is a dog. We do these things because we have been miraculously saved by the Savior of the universe. So, this is the story of Isaiah. It's kind of hard to be lukewarm after being exposed to such a great text today. And it's truth. And the picture of God here is the truth. Not everybody gets it now. But very soon, everyone will understand. So if you've been sleeping, (laughs) hear these words. God is awesome, verses 1 through 4. You and I are scum, verses 5. Verse 6 and 7. He saw you, saw me got beat on, spit on, and walked to the end of his life and died. To give us the gift of the great reversal. What? You're kidding me. How can it be? Amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? So, where does that put your heart your soul, and your response. Listen to this response in Psalm 116, verse 12. How can I repay the Lord for all His goodness to me? How? There's so many things we could say. I'll do anything for you, Lord. I just want to sit and praise you minute by minute for the rest of my life. Or maybe today I, I just want to repent of all my sin and get clean. Or, I want to rush into Burma and give my life for you, Lord, right now. I want to go. 
Or maybe you know the story of the Moravians as they drifted out to sea and to their deaths. In great joy, they said, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Or maybe you're just, Lord, I've wasted so much time. And I pledge to miss not one remaining opportunity to live for you or speak about you. You know, we have a friend, his name is Dave James. He was the director of a Bible uh, Institute seminar in Hungary. And uh, this is what he would do when the students would graduate and about to get their seminary degree. He would, I'll use Kirby back there because he's the funniest guy on the planet. Um, Anyway, uh, he'd write Kirby and then he'd write a bunch of stuff on the paper. And then he would fold it up and he would reach out to Kirby and he would say, Kirby, this is God's will for your life. Will you do it? There's all kinds of responses we could give to that, right? One would be, well, depends on what's on the paper, you know. But if they said, that's God's will for me and for my life, absolutely. Let me have it. I want to know what it is. I want to do it. And he knew if he got that response that the training that they had gotten to trust God, they were ready to graduate. Perhaps the best response is just to say what Isaiah did. Here am I. Send me. Whatever you want for me, Lord, I want nothing more and nothing less. We're about done. Teens, I want to speak to you. Maybe there's some unresolved sin in your life. Maybe something going on with a sister or brother that needs to be confessed. Or maybe you've seen God's forgiveness in a fresh way this morning. Maybe you're stuck somewhere between verses 7 and 8. And God is calling you, finally, this morning, just to say, send me, I'm ready. I'm tired of being lukewarm, and now I'm ready. And if you're in any of these places, all of these are good. Seek out an adult, act on that, but don't wait. And finally, to you adults who are here to serve God, you've come to Thailand, it's not your home country, You've come to serve God, reach tribes and people groups that are not your own. You love those who are lost. You love those who speak a different language than you. I think this is many of you in this room. God is thrilled with you. He called you and you responded, Send me! And here you are. So this morning we're going to end with a song inspired by Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4. And it serves this morning as a thank you for your life, your choice to say, yes, Lord, send me to serve the King of Kings. So just take it in and worship him. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.